0: Thank you for choosing to listen to our sermon podcast. My name is Chris Mitchell. I'm one of the pastors here at First Covenant Church of Anchorage. If you have any questions or prayer requests, feel free to stop by or send an email to office at anchoragefirstcovenant.com. God bless. So I'm going to be continuing in a series that we began a few weeks ago on the book of 1 John. So if you brought your Bible and want to turn there, uh, we'll be reading from the end of chapter 2 into the first part of chapter 3. We'll have also have the text on the screen in a little bit. So to introduce this uh, message, I uh, wanted to share with you um, a song. I'm not going to sing it, but I want to tell you about a song that um, actually was sent to me in a message this week on my phone. Actually, from a a friend, actually a a girl. Well, she's a woman now who I've walked with for um, about 25 years. Um, She was a youth in our youth group in Unalakleet, and she uh, is now a woman with children. And um, she often sends me music videos. And they just show up in my messages. And uh, this week, she sent me a song by Zach Williams. Okay, so any country music people in here? So uh, no, if you have never heard this song, I had never heard it before. It's by Zach Williams. And it's called, it's Jesus Fault. That's what the song is called, Jesus Fault. So uh, I'm going to read the lyrics to you. I'm going to add a little, little southern accent here to get the feel, all right? It's a little of my Texas background here. The Bible by the bed ain't a coaster no more. It still got some rings from the bottles before. That red letter mercy put an end to my thirsty. The Bible by the bed ain't a coaster no more. Well, I told my old man that I loved him today, and he said it back before he drove away. Been stubborn like my father. We were oil and water. But I told my old man that I loved him today. I guess that's what happens when he chases you down. Everything's different. There's a new me in town. I don't wake up angry at the mirror on the wall. So if you miss the old me, that's Jesus's fault. Yeah, Sundays don't make me feel sad like they did. She don't have to drag me like she does our kids. And I still got some questions, but I'm counting my blessings. Sundays don't make me feel sad like they did. If you miss the old me, that's Jesus' fault. If you miss the old me, that's Jesus' fault. If you miss the old me, that's Jesus' fault. It's all Jesus' fault. It's all Jesus' fault, (laughs) y'all. So why do I start a sermon with that song? Because I think it helps, um, helps to illustrate when we hear a song or read a song we expect certain maybe literary devices to be used or or it's a form you know uh, we know that this is a country western song and with that there's repetition and there's y'all and you know there's things that we expect from a certain genre of music and uh, so we we understand uh, uh, what uh, some of the repetition is about Um, now i wouldn't necessarily just come up and preach this as a sermon but i also knew that when my friend sent it to me she was also saying, "Hey, I identify with this. This is my story too. I'm experiencing this and I know as I've walked with her that she is experiencing this that Jesus is has and is changing her life over time. It's a testimony." Now, I don't know Zach Williams if this is his testimony or someone else's. I don't I'm not saying that, but I will say that this form really gives witness in a certain form. And so as we look into scripture, as we read from the Bible, it's helpful to know the form, the background a little bit of the reading, what we're reading. Because there's all types of writing in scripture. We have poetry. We have stories. We have narrative. We have letters. And each genre, as we understand it, each form, it will help us to uh, be closer to, what, um, to understanding how we can now interpret it. Though this wasn't written to us, initially, it is written for us, and so it's helpful to understand. So I'm going to bring this in a little bit, uh, a little bit later as we talk more. I want to review a little bit about where we've been. Um, we've had a few sermons prior to now, um, and I want to help uh, review a little bit because we're coming in the middle. We're coming in the middle of this letter. It is considered a letter, but it's a little different than some of the other letters that we read because there's not a, a specific salutation. Like, you know, to so-and-so, or even to the churches of somewhere. It's just, it just starts. But we know in uh, chapter 2 that, uh, that this is being written. I, it's, the writer says, I write to you, I write to you, I write to you. And so this was likely a letter that was written um, to churches, uh, a, um, a network of house churches, um, in about the year 90, 90 AD. Okay. So it's helpful for me to think about where this fits in the larger picture. So um, it's called First John because it's written, um, believed by scholars. It's written by John. There's two other letters that follow it that are much shorter. Um, but John himself was overseeing this network. And it's believed that he was the last living apostle. And because as you look in the writing and the styles and the different things that John talks about, it's believed to be the same author as the epistle of John. And so John um, is writing. He's an elder. He's probably um, 70 or older and is serving in an um, as this, an, an overseeing this network of churches, and he's written this particular to a group of people. Now, Paul, if you remember Paul, the epistles that Paul has written, like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, those were church written to churches that were planted in about fifty to sixty. Okay, so this is you know a good sixty years after the death of Jesus. The church has been planted and is expanding throughout the Roman Empire, throughout the world, into many different languages and cultures. Um, And John himself is likely living in Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey. And this letter, as of all the other epistles, is in a response to something. In other words, there's something that's happening that he's responding to. Now, most of you know that I'm married to Curtis, and Curtis serves as the superintendent of Covenant Churches. That means he's kind of an overseer of 19 different churches. And these churches are in different communities, and they have different people in different situations. You know, one of them, a couple of the villages just recently had a massive storm hit, and there's need for care for the people and for the churches. There's new pastors coming in and out. There's all different questions. And so he's often asked questions. What do we do? How do we handle this? And though he doesn't have official, like, authority to tell people what they have to do, he acts as a serves as a guide, as a caregiver, as um, a mentor to churches to help guide them and overseer. And this is how John also was serving in this time over these churches. Now, there was something happening. That this letter and the next two are written to a particular crisis. And we've talked over the last few weeks about that there were pressures— on many Christian churches and groups to incorporate other philosophies that were floating around in the Roman Empire as part of their faith to take them in. And some of the things that uh, these different teachings called Gnosticism, there are others, but this primary one drew a strict line between spiritual and material and felt like the two didn't connect. So whatever was done in the physical body didn't touch or taint the spiritual in any way. And that whatever happens in the spirit doesn't necessarily, you know, have um, anything to do with your physical body, your your earthly life. Um, Nothing in the body could tarnish the purity of the spirit. And that also led to a denial of Christ's human nature. And if you did um, acknowledge Christ that he came, he wasn't really a physical person. He was just a spirit. And this teaching also led to immoral living because if there's nothing really that can taint uh, the spirit, then whatever we do in the body doesn't really matter. And so we can do whatever we feel like. And so this was very contrary to the message of the gospel. And the churches were splitting. There were people who had been identifying as believers who were leaving, leaving the churches and causing dissension. Um, and this is a very, very painful journey for the, the, the early church. Now, the letters of 2nd and 3rd John, they actually address specific people and specific issues. But this first one is much more of a general um, letter, and it reads like, more like a poetic sermon. And this is where I bring in the, the uh, song, the country music song, right? That there are some ways that he uses liter- literary devices, he has stark contrasts dark and light and images and he's, he's kind of circular in the way he goes through his points it's not linear point a point b and in fact many of the things we'll hear this morning i'll think didn't we read that in chapter one two? yes because he has a very circular flow to his reasoning he uses hyperbole hyperbole meaning strong very strong words um meant to jar you to think um so uh But the purpose of this letter is to assure his God's people that as they adhere to the truth and walk in the gospel that they had received, that God is with them and will be faithful to them. So up until this point in 1 John 1, they've been reminded that they are to to stay true to stay true to the gospel they had been given. What he was giving them was not a new teaching. They had received all they needed through the gospel of Christ. And there are two images that are carried out throughout the book. The first one is that God is light. And that is where we have been the last few weeks. Now, um, in in um, in the text... This, it, there's kind of like an intro. This is the message. This is the way John introduces his big picture. This is the message. The first, God is light. The second, that we're going to start really more in depth next week, is that God is love. So we're at the end of the section on God is light and what that means. And if you remember from some of the earlier uh, texts, it says that God is light and in him there is no darkness. And those who follow in him live in the light Um, and uh, and, um, abstain from deeds of darkness. He reminds us to not love the world, to distance ourselves from the the, the world that is passing away, and that because Jesus has come, we are already experiencing victory over the darkness, though we still see it uh, in our world, but the, the light has come, and the darkness has already started to fade away. So let's pick up our text right now. We're going to start uh, today in chapter 2, verses 28, and we're going to read through this together. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin, and whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, and for the devil has sinned from the beginning for this purpose the son of god was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil whoever has been born of god does not sin for his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of god in this the children of god in this the children of god and the children of the devil are manifest whoever does not practice righteousness is not of god nor is he who does not love his brother So as we look at this, there's a lot in this text, and there's a lot, as you read this, I'm sure there's questions popping up. What do you mean, anyone who's in Christ does not sin? <laughs> you know, there's again there's some strong statements, and so we're going to go through here, um, and uh, a little bit by bit. I just want to say that as as this in, as the this is introduced in this passage, we see John reminding us as in the gospel of john that the, the secret to persevering as a christian is to remain in christ to abide to abide in him and our minds go back to the lord's parable of the vine and the branches in chapter 15 of john's gospel there's this organic union between stem and branch in which enables the latter to be fruitful and so it is with our christian lives he says i am the vine you are the branches if a person remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So John reminds them, re, remain in Christ. So I didn't mention this earlier, but the churches were confused. And it was there was a lot of tension because these teachers, these false teachers, were coming from, from within them and from outside of them. And they were having a hard time. How do we know? How do we know if this—can we receive this teacher— how do we know? How do we discern? And so John is really trying to help them to not be misled and how to discern, how, what, how to evaluate the teachings of the different people that are coming. So uh, the Lord Jesus is coming back. Amen? And he reminds them of this in this section. Remember, Jesus is coming back. John thought he was coming during his lifetime. Probably all of the other disciples, the 12, and the apostles, they believe that John was the last apostle, meaning the last who lived under the teaching of Jesus, who was still alive and sent to have his vocation, his whole life centered around the sharing of the gospel and the establishing of churches. He reminds us he is coming back. And it's John's great desire for his dear children to be able to meet Jesus with confidence. This word implies confidence here, implies a freedom of speech and access, not the shame that turns away from him. There's kind of a play on words here. If we were readers of Greek, we would catch it. See, God's children should have confidence, parisa, at his parusa, okay, at his coming, confidence at his coming. He wants them confident now in their faith and confident as he comes. And so he wants to encourage them in this. Now, as we look at this section, there's two main points that John is going to explain, and we're going to go over these. The first is that about being God's children. The second is living rightly as God's children. Now, these are two interlocking themes that are threaded through this whole passage. The first, being the children of God. The second, how God's children live that out, acting rightly. These themes are seen in the first two verses as well as the end, and then he breaks them all the way through. Now, uh, John has addressed his listeners as children throughout the book, And then also in this passage, and in our passage, little children. Now, I just want to say a little about this. Um, It was not not a demeaning term in that uh, the word that's used there could literally mean your children, your biological children. But it was also a term that was used in other areas metaphorically, especially in the mentor relationships throughout the Roman Empire. And so similar to maybe in the Jewish culture, rabbi um, and, and disciple and student, um, children were what was called of the learners. If you had a philosophical teacher that you were learning under, um, <clears throat> you would be considered his child, his learner. And so John is, is um, that he understands he has authority in, in the ways of Christ that he's sharing with them as a leader, as a father to them. Um, but it's not, it's not uh, demeaning. But there are some um, modifiers like little that help us understand that he is very concerned about them. They are especially vulnerable like little children right now in their faith journey. And he's wanting to help increase their confidence. And so the first thing that he tells them in this, uh, in, verse, uh, in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, behold, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. Maybe some of you remember the song that you learned maybe in Sunday school. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Yes, right? It comes straight from this verse, right? And so I chose to read from the New King James Version today. I don't normally choose this version. I read from the NIV usually. But the NIV kind of misses this one, all right? And the New King James Version does a little bit better. So this word, behold, it is a forceful word in the Greek, and we need to, John wants us to take time to contemplate this, this love, and to allow us to really sink into the depths of our being. It's meant to take our breath away, breath away like, look, check this out! It's an, um, there's an exclamation mark at the end of all of our versions, but you know, by the time you get to the end, you have the exclamation mark. But no, it's like, behold, look at this. It's meant to startle us, amaze us, so that we're we're left gasping, what sort of love is this? The word that John uses originally meant in its root, of what country? It's a word that expresses surprise, encountering something foreign. Something we're not used to. The disciples use this word in Matthew 8:27, when they were amazed by the power of Jesus instilling the storm of Galilee. They exclaim, "What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. He is in a different category than anything we have ever come across before. This is the Father's love for us. Now, John also addresses his readers as beloved ones in verse 2. Those whom he loves with the same quality of love. In fact, the word is, that's used is agape toy. You hear the root word agape. He loves them with the same quality of God's love for him. And it's an especially appropriate term here because we're about to be reintroduced to that divine love and all that it's already accomplished for God's people in the second section of John's letter. John's wanting us to grasp how radically different from all other sorts of love is God's agape love for us. Being born of God, this phrase, born of God, is a distinct theme in the writings of John. You know, Paul talked a lot about adoption, and so we see this same type of a family um. Uh, family uh, construct. But John is the one who says, we're not just adopted into God's family. No, we are born of God um, as we receive his spirit. It occurs twice more in this passage and then five times in the letter. The strongest connection outside of this reading is in the epistle, I mean, it's in the gospel of John, when Jesus, remember, tells Nicodemus, that he must be born again, or born from above. It refers to the spiritual rebirth instigated by God through the Spirit, bringing us a dramatic new life. This new life is oriented towards God and Christ, leaving behind the old life with its allegiance to the world and to the flesh and to the devil. And according to 1 John, being born of God, depends on believing that Jesus is the Christ. And remember, there were some of the people that were saying, yeah, Jesus, he he wasn't the Messiah in the the Jewish realm. And that it also produces love for believers and enables them to overcome the world and the life of sin. Now there's a photo I want to share with you. Um, This was a very popular photo, famous photo taken by Alan Stanley Tritic. And he was a photographer that photographed many, many presidents, John F. Kennedy being one of them. And so as John F. Kennedy Kennedy sits here at the resolute desk of of the Oval Office, it's really not JFK who's the center of attention in this picture, right? But the son, John Jr., as he playfully is located underneath the desk of his dad. The picture says so much, right, about the bond of loving family relationships. This is the President of the United States. His office is not accessible to just anyone. But John Jr. had free access to President Kennedy. He had access to the Oval Office, and he could sit under the desk whenever he wanted (laughs) because the President of the United States was his father. It is our father who loves us and invites us into this intimate relationship as a beloved child. Now, in the next section of the scriptures, it's almost like John preempts a question. Like, well, that's all nice, uh, Elder John, but we're not feeling like beloved children right now. Our congregations are splitting. We're being accused by um, Jewish on Jewish churches on uh, the synagogue on one side that we we've we've we have apo- left the faith of Jew, the Jewish faith and and that Jesus wasn't the Messiah we're also feeling it from the um, the philosophies of the Roman Empire and um, others who have taken those in and and they're they're accusing us they're making fun of us they're uh, belittling us ostracizing us. we don't feel very beloved. And so it's like John uh, anticipates this. And he says uh, in in 3 verse 1, let's, let's go to the next. Oh, yeah, it's right here. So it says, therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Yep, that's right. He, the world doesn't know you. And they rejected him as well. See, such an assurance is important for us. as we live live for Christ in our hostile world. This type of persecution turns to increase our certainty. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. When I was preparing this, I thought about a time in my life. um, When I was 15, the Lord spoke to me in a very powerful way when I was at a youth camp. He asked me, Christy, will you follow me? wherever I lead you, I, I heard this voice in my heart in my mind. I had grown up in church and had asked the Lord to come into my life as a younger girl. But this was a new question. Will you follow me wherever I lead you? And I, I told the Lord I would. And I made a commitment right there on the dining hall porch of that Bible camp that I will follow you wherever you lead me. I was 15, a sophomore, my junior year in high school. I had grown up in church. I was at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I had this really tight group of friends um, who were my real close friends. My school friends, yeah, I had friends. But my church friends, man, they were the ones that I was really bonded to. And many of them in their junior and senior year, as many teens do, um, began to experiment and, uh, and stray away from the, the life of Jesus as their center began drinking and partying sleeping around this was my close inner group of friends it was so painful i had made a new commitment that i'd follow him wherever he would lead me and i knew he was leading me not to stay tightly bound to that group now we'd still go to church together but as far as who i spent my time on the weekends with he was leading me to um to choose to be faithful to Him in the way I lived. It was such a painful time, and my senior year was actually very lonely. Um, I had one good friend from school who actually was not a believer, though his lifestyle was one that I could be around and not be— um, we, could, we could hang out and be friends and not be tempted to, to do things that I knew that would dishonor the Lord. It was a very, very painful time. But the Lord was faithful to me in that time. And we're reminded that whether it's in our jobs or in our families, we may be the only one living for Christ and feel like nobody gets me, nobody understands, the Lord understands. And that's why we come together as a body of believers to encourage one another. So the other thing he lets us know about being children is that we're in process. You know, I often look at my when my kids were three and four, feeling like they're going to be in this stage Forever. (laughs) or 12, or 14, or 16, right? The beautiful thing is that children grow up and they don't stay the same. And he, he reminds us that as children, we're in process. And you know what? When God, when Jesus comes back for us, we're going to be changed. We don't exactly know what we're going to look like, but we're going to be different. We are in process too. And so as we, as we go, um, there, there are seasons of growth. <clears throat> and when he returns, we'll see him as he is and we'll be like him. What an encouragement. Again, reminding us to think about the return of Jesus. <clears throat> as we live in the love of Jesus, we remember that we are called to live Rightly. the whole next section of Scripture focuses on this. And this is where this passage about sin and lawlessness can be very difficult to deal with. The identity marker that everyone who sins breaks the law, and that breaking the law is sin and sin is lawlessness, they're mutually defining. And they're not just talking about one specific sin or times when we fall. We see in 1 John that we have, we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just. And if we say we never sin, we're lying. This is a propensity, a disposition. As children of the beloved Father, our, we, have a new be, we have a new being. We have a new identity. And this marker um, uh, against um, sin and lawlessness is an identifier of our life. He's telling the church that as you see people Look at their life. How are they living? And is it in line with Christ? He has some very, very strong language for them. Towards the end, he calls them children of the devil. Again, this is that hyperbolic, this very strong language that Jesus himself said, if you're not for me, you're against me. But we're called in the love that we have. We receive Jesus, and he is in us. In fact, the word in... um, when it says the seed of Christ, that's actually the word sperma. As like the actual genetic, um, so at the cellular level, we're, we're, we're Jesus. We're God. Um, his, his seed is in us. We're not God, but he's in us. We have a new identity. We have a new way of being. So I want to tell the story. <clears throat> um, my son Nathan, he's 20 now. So when he was uh, younger, we would read, as I did with my other children, We'd read their children's Bible together. And uh, we'd been reading, and uh, one night I needed to talk to him before we read, because his attitude had gotten a little difficult. He was arguing more, he was being a little more, uh, he was a pretty easy kid, but he was starting to have some attitude issues and talking back. And So I thought, I need to just have a little talk with him. I said, Nathan, I said, I just want to have a little talk with you that, you know, I've noticed that um, lately you've been having some, made some bad choices in your attitude and how you talked back to me and dad. And, you know, I don't remember all that was going on, but I talked to him about it. And I said, you know, son, if this continues, um, I'm, I'm going to need to punish you. Now, I don't know why I use the word punish, because that's not really a word that I would use. But for whatever reason, and he said, he did not skip a beat. Mom, Jesus has already taken my punishment on the cross. I mean, he did not skip a beat. I can still see him sitting on the thing. And I was like, yes, that is right, Nathan. He has taken your punishment on the cross. Like, what do I say now? Actually, I was trying not to just crack up, honestly. Like, it was so cute. Um, and yes, right, Jesus has taken the punishment for sin and death. And he, he's, um, as I read this morning, he separated us. When, when we're in Christ, he separated our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. And he's called us to live, to purify ourselves. As children of God, we purify ourselves. We do things that lead us to um, purifying, uh, purifying ways. The rites of purification were, were common in Jewish teaching and also in even pagan, pagan religious rites. But it's a matter of preparing ourselves not the action, the washing of our hands that purifies us, but it's getting ourselves ready for the work of the Lord to move towards righteousness, to move towards goodness, to move towards holiness. One of the marks of the children is that they purify themselves. It's an appropriate stance for those who would stand in God's presence that we may not be ashamed at his coming. What is the first John saying to us today? I believe it's saying to us very similar things. One, abide. Abide in Christ. Maybe for some of you, um, this is your first time in church for a while. Or like uh, that song, the, the Bible's a little dusty. It's got some rings of being a coaster, I want to encourage you to abide, abide in Christ, abide in His Word. This is where we come together to fellowship with one another, to stay. Remember, you are beloved. You are beloved child of God. His love is deep. And as we have, as we embrace Him and as we continue in Him, He wants to make that more and more real to you. And as beloved children, yes, we are called to turn away from the world, to turn away from the things that pull us away from Christ, and to move towards Christ, to purify our hearts, to confess when we need to confess, to allow ourselves to be encouraged by our spiritual leaders, to be called out sometimes if that's what's needed, but that we may show ourselves to be children of God, beloved children of God. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for this time. As we think on your love for us. Lord, help us to to sink in. As we are in Christ, Lord, our very identity, our very being has been changed. Your seed has been planted in our spirit and is growing, Lord. May we bear fruit. Lord, we know that there are situations that we're in where we feel like we're the only one living for you. Lord, would you help us, strengthen us, Lord, as you walk this path, that we would not be shocked, when the world does not receive us. We pray, Lord, that you remind us that you are coming back for us. I know I don't think about this enough. That you are returning. Your return is near. Lord, help us to face the oppositions that we experience with that in mind. And that you will change us. We're in process. And Lord, we pray, God, that you at your coming would come soon, Lord, and that those who are around us who have not yet chosen to follow you, that, Lord, you would call them in your mercy. Help us to show the love of Jesus. Lord, strengthen us that we may turn away from the, the pull of the world. We thank you, God, that you've come, that you are here, and that your kingdom is being established, and that darkness is already diminishing, Lord. Help us to be light. Help us to live as light. And Lord, as we look into next week, into the chapters about loving, loving our brothers and sisters as evidence of your work in us, God, make us more fully like Jesus as we love. Thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.